0: Hello and welcome to Dowdy, the podcast where me, Mariana Pejov, talk to my guests about the concept of bravery, or braveness, even just the moments where folks have been slightly out of their comfort zones. This week I was brave because I didn't let a little snow prevent me from walking outside. Yesterday it was very, very slippery, and I'm known for my falls, and I've seen snow for the first time at 25. I don't know how to deal with snow. I had to learn that you have to walk in like little steps so you don't slip up in the snow. But it was very, very slippery yesterday. I did go outside and walk. It's still snowing. Looking outside, it still looks like the ground is slippery. But I will go out for a walk today again. It's extra brave because we know the NHS is under pressure because of COVID. So breaking a leg, it's even worse now than it was in other times. So, you know, like, it's bravery or recklessness. We've had that conversation before. Also, I'm recording this intro while my flatmate is having a shower, so maybe you're listening to water underneath. I'm not sure. (laughs) If you are, I'm sorry, but I want to get the podcast edited and uploaded now, so I'm not waiting for her to finish her shower. Also, something happened with my podcast files. I'm not sure what happened. I save them the same way every time I have these recorded for I don't know over a month two months even and somehow from last week to this week they changed and the folder disappeared. and I've had to do a little bit of detective work on my laptop and I found my backup audio zoom files so that's what you're going to listen to today so the sound quality is not what I got you used to even though even the best sound quality maybe it's not the best sound quality ever on my podcast because I'm not a sound engineer and I do all the sound myself, so you know. Uh, (laughs) I can't promise sound quality ever, but this time they're Zoom files and they slip up a bit like the ground when it's snowing, but it's a great conversation that I had with my guests. I cried for 15 minutes yesterday because I thought I had lost four episodes. I didn't. I have Zoom files for them. Thanks, Zoom. This episode starts as Doubt Always starts with my
1: guest, Alice Sanders, introducing yourself. Um, My name is Alice Sanders. In normal times, in the before times, I was a tour director, um, which means that I take North American students across Britain and Europe on educational tours. Uh, But as well as that, I'm a writer and I am a performer. And I do a drag character called Sebastian Frond. And he is in a drag improv troupe called The Bareback Kings. Uh, but he also does his own solo stuff where he reads his incredibly refined poetry out to adoring audiences, obviously. <laughs> it's very fun.
0: I'm always yeah, you know, of the way you guys transform yourselves when I watch The Bareback Kings. I haven't had the chance of uh, watching Sebastian on his own live, I think. But uh, the whole of the Bareback Kings when you just like change from the moment you get into the room and then go and change and then you're completely different people. And it's awesome.
1: People actually often don't recognise us. It's really weird. People will have seen us perform and be like, are you you performing tonight? (laughs) Yeah, we just... I was just there, I was a man. I think people look for easy cues, don't they? I mean, obviously people know that we're in drag. And actually, our drag was quite bad when we first started. But I feel that it has improved. And not that it's, I mean, obviously we're doing it for comedy purposes. It's not so much about the sort of physical illusion. But yeah, I definitely think our drag's got better.
0: Yeah, I feel like the, the like, facial hair looks good, like, at a distance, of course, if I'm looking at you, like, face to face, I can tell it's not hair. But, yeah, it, it does look real at a distance.
1: You say that, though, Mariana, but I now save the hair from my undercut and glue it onto my face with eyelash glue. So it is actual hair and actually my hair. So I have little bags and boxes around of- of like, <laughs> yeah, it's
0: really creepy. I'm just like imagining if like anyone has to get into your house for any reason and just look in the covers and they'll just find hair. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what's happening? <laughs> Pretty much it. So what happens if you go into my knicker drawer.
1: You find
0: bags. <laughs> that's just went uh, a step up. Uh, it's in the knicker drawer. <laughs> uh, how would you define bravery? Wow. Um,
1: <laughs> how would I define bravery? Well, I was sort of thinking about this, actually. <clears throat> and I guess it's, it's it wouldn't be the same act for everyone, would it? I I think, for me, it's about doing something out of your comfort zone. So it could be different for everyone.
0: Yeah, I do ask people when I invite them for the podcast to think of moments where they have been brave, or at least out of their comfort zone, because I feel like sometimes... The concept of bravery is so far removed for like for me for sure it is and i feel like it's the same with other people because the idea of bravery that we're sold by movies and the media or even history sometimes is more like bigger events that we are not necessarily come across in our daily lives but putting ourselves out of our comfort zone we do do regularly and that's also being brave
1: well i think also bravery doesn't necessarily have to be altruistic like it can be for yourself and not for other people and i guess you know the movies teach us as well it's like you know running over the top for your to save your comrades or something which of course is massively brave but is yeah, I would agree that that's not the only kind of bravery that exists. You can just be brave for yourself. Yeah.
0: Have you thought about moments in your life in which you have been brave?
1: Yeah, I've thought about some.
0: Are you happy to share them with,
1: with me? Uh, listeners, yeah. Do you want me to just start talking about them? Yeah. I have actually written about this before, but for me, improv definitely was a, was a massive deal. Because, well, growing up, I was super shy. And I don't know if people, well, I think people who meet, meet me now would never think that because I don't think I come across as shy. I think maybe even like five years ago, you might have had an inkling. And certainly 10 years ago, I still made like, um I made a terrible first impression. And uh, I think that that was rooted in in shyness. And it sometimes came across as like aloofness or superiority even or grumpiness, but Actually, it was it was shyness, and so taking my first improv class was absolutely terrifying. And there's a well, there's a number of reasons that I did it, but when I so when I turned thirty, I decided that I would sort of kind of change my life and do things that I'd wanted to do for a long time but hadn't been brave enough to do. And the reason was because. In my late 20s, and specifically my 29th year, I had a terrible, terrible year. My brother had cancer. Um, he, he was diagnosed with cancer when he was 27, bowel cancer. I mean, I should say that he, he lived and he's fine now. But obviously that was a massive shock. And he went through a lot of treatment. And I also had a very destructive relationship, which is a long story. But I was very, very sad. And meanwhile a friend of mine had been taking an improv class and she kept saying to me you should do it you, you you'd you really like it you I think you'd be good at it and I kept on saying yeah, yeah 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 I'll definitely do that and inside thinking I will never do that it sounds terrifying and I went to see her first show uh which is which was a Harold after like level three or whatever and I was like oh my god you were amazing to do it she was like you have to do it you have to do it I was like sure, sure 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 again like I will never ever do that um and then after all this happened to me and I was just kind of thinking like I think I'd been a low level of sad for a long time and when these big events in my life came and you know they they were very difficult things but I didn't really have any reserves to deal with them because I was already low grade sad and I really struggled in that time. And I, I sort of got so depressed that I honestly thought I would never be happy again. Like I genuinely believed that for like a good nine months, I would say. And obviously when, when you're 27 year seven-year-old mother is that sick, you kind of think maybe I won't have all the time in the world, you know. And I got to the point of almost like, what do I have to lose? And I'd sort of performed when I was younger as well. And then given it up because I suffered from such bad anxiety and nerves. And then I thought, basically, I, ha- I went to a party. I had a really bad hangover. And I was having that like spiraling, like hungover, like everything is terrible. And I, was- and I was like, you know what, Alice, you need to do something to change your life because you were not happy even before all these things happened. And my friend... Who'd been doing the improv and telling me I should do it, had secretly put me on the mailing list of uh, monkey toast improv school, And one of those emails literally popped up while I was having this spiral, and I went, "That's it, that's what I'm going to do." And I emailed back, like literally even then, handshaking me, like, "Yeah, okay." So. <laughs> uh, and I had to like persuade myself to go to every single one of those classes. I would say to myself, one day, I guess you're going to have to die alone if you can't go to an improv class. Like, <laughs> how are you going to manage that? <laughs> Which I don't think it was necessarily the pep talk I needed, but, yeah. <laughs> And I would, like, tremble and shake. But there was obviously a part of me that loved it, you know, because I kept going despite the terror that <laughs> I felt. And it genuinely was terror. And I don't know what the terror was I think it was like all the fears that we have about kind of about revealing ourselves you know like when we perform when we put ourselves under the spotlight or even when we write like that people will look and see us and know us and that there's something terrifying about that isn't there but also the fear of making mistakes of being foolish or stupid (sighs) yeah but I think a deeply rooted fear of being seen anyway I carried on and um, I did all the levels by sort of saying to myself, at any point you can give up. And actually my my teacher then, Paul Foxcroft, was really encouraging and was basically like, you can't give this up, I won't let you. And then before I did my very first show in front of an actual audience, I vomited (laughs) with terror. I spent all day crying and before... I sort of told myself it was because like, I didn't have a partner to support me through it. And I was like, everyone else will have someone to tell them it will be okay. And I don't have anyone to tell me that it will be okay. But the truth is that what I was saying to myself that day was, why would anyone want to listen to what you have to say? Why would anyone want to see you on stage? And that was the thought that ran through my head for hours and hours and hours. And uh, then I got ready to leave the house. Just as I was about to open my front door and go, I was like, "Oh, I'm, I'm gonna vomit!" Uh, Ran back to the toilet, spewed my guts up, cleaned my teeth, packed my toothbrush, and left and went and did the show. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's
0: a lot about like what you've just said that I relate to, because I was very shy, very, very very shy growing up, and I never thought I could perform. Like I did bits in high school, but always from a very shy perspective and like I felt and it wasn't big it was just for like my my classmates and stuff like that so it was never like huge but I was very very shy and I turned 30 and I thought I needed to start doing stuff out of my different stuff out of my comfort zone and try things out because if there's any time it has to be now right I'm not going to wait more time to be a lot of things happen like i started doing capoeira as well which i always thought i need to be in shape before i try and do capoeira because it's so demanding so i need to get in shape before i try it and then someone told me no you'll get in shape by doing it And I, okay cool that, that's sounds right and it is right but yeah all of that I feel like I always was always waiting for something to change in order to do things and then when I turned 30 I decided to just try the things
1: yes so I have that exact same same thought so I always thought one day I'll feel more confident and then I'll be able to go on stage again but the truth is you never feel more confident you have to just do it but I think about this a lot in therapy too so You kind of like, you think that the thoughts will change before the actions, but actually the actions always change before the thoughts. Well, maybe always is too strong, but regularly. So, I mean, even if you just think about being kinder to yourself, you might think, you know, when I'm more confident or when I feel better about myself, I will treat myself better. No, you have to make yourself, treat yourself better so that your feelings will follow. And the same... in improving anything like relationships with other people it's like when I feel ready I'll open up or like I can be kind to this person no you just have to do it and then the feelings follow the pattern and it becomes like more of a, a thing you're able to do or that you do just automatically but I absolutely know exactly what you mean this this sort of like misguided notion that you'll th- feel ready or you'll get more fit before you do the thing yeah. which is not true you just have to do it uh,
0: I also like I felt ner- nervous like when I started doing improv and for some reason like in the first class I did very well and people laughed and that made me keep going from that, the memory of that first class. But I don't feel like I have ever had like physical manifestations of my nervousness like vomiting or some people have to uh, go for a shit and stuff like that. But I did like these last seven months, I realized that I, my bowel is way less stressed I have my time to go to the toilet uh, and that's it and I think it's because I'm not performing live Absolutely. that it calmed down and I, I've never if, if, there, if it wasn't for Covid I would never have figured out that that was stress related.
1: Honestly it's like I've realized that I'm not really so much of a night person as I thought it's just I was always up late because of the adrenaline of shows Mm-hmm. You know, like by, by the time you've performed at a gig and you're it, it gives you like a genuine high I mean god do I miss it because core gives you that as well and yes like it's stressful in many ways but also it it's it's like taking drugs and yeah. I mean that's why I'm going for a nine kilometer being run today because I need that high and I I don't know how to get it without performing or like without other people essentially oh, God damn it. I do
0: like when people ask me about if I miss performing yes I miss performing but I feel like I miss that feeling that adrenaline feeling after a show when you get home and can't sleep yeah. I miss that, and it's dumb to miss that because that I don't know it, it messes up with your biological clock I guess if that's even the thing but yeah you like sleep late wake up have to wake up in the morning because of work and it messes so much up but I miss
1: it. I know well I think it's because well I have a a theory about this and it's not necessarily a fun theory but um, so I think if you're someone who is used to like a tumultuous life and I think in some ways that might come from an element of trauma you find it very hard to just live like a calm life, even if it's um, happy or at least content because you crave those highs and lows, you know, and what performing gives you is definitely highs and lows, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, and literally the, the f- physiology, like the chemistry in your body of the highs and lows. There's a, there's a poem that I think about a lot, which is a Dorothy Parker poem, and there's a line in it that goes, they sicken of the calm who knew the storm. And I think that's basically a description of my entire life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's also because when, when you do have like the high or the storm or whatever, you, you like it, right? So you want it again. Yeah. After you've experienced it, you can't just go back to like a, a base
1: level of uh, life.
0: Yeah, exactly. 100%.
1: I agree with
0: you. You said you thought about more than one moment of bravery. So improv is one of, taking up improv is one of them and performing.
1: Yeah, well, that definitely was a huge one for me because I also think, because I, I, I used to perform like at school. I mean, not that that's a massive deal, but like, you know, I acted and I wrote sketches and I performed sketches with a friend of mine and I, I missed it. And the thing is not doing it didn't make that go away because I sort of came to the conclusion that, you know, I was too anxious to, to be a performer, but actually that the desire to do it never went away. And I think this is the thing about fears or, you know, confronting fears is that you have to confront them. You can't just step away from them. Mm -hmm. Like if I'd never performed again, I still would have been afraid of performing. And there would still be something in me that desperately wanted it and was really afraid of it. But now I'm not saying I'm not afraid of performing because, of course, I still get nervous before gigs. And I think every time you level up, like every time you do a bigger gig or, you know, a sort of more important gig or something, you feel that fear quite often, you know, massively. But I definitely am less afraid now. And I also do enjoy it. You know, it's not just fear, it's also enjoyment. Um, So yes, anyway, I distracted myself.
0: I just remember that I related to something else of the things you've said before, which is the first impression thing, because you were shy and you came across as standoffish and sometimes superior. I feel the same. I felt the same growing up all the time. My mom had a friend that told her once that I was... Like I have um we say um nose up in Portuguese as like an idea of superiority, yeah,, uh, and she said told my mom that I have that, and I'm like, no, I'm no, I'm just shy I just don't speak to people, I just stay in a corner and don't want to be seen, which is something that sometimes I struggle with understanding why I like performing because I just stand up and it's like in improv, it feels like a little bit more. A thing we do in a group. But when I started doing improv, it's very much just me on a stage and everyone is looking at me and seeing me for sure. And I love it. But I also still like in other like social c- circumstances or something like that, I want to be, I prefer people not to see me. And that's why I think I like love photography as well, because I can be behind a camera. And that's like something that makes. People not see me sometimes, and I like that. Uh, but I also love being seen on stage, so it's a very like paradoxical thing. Who am I? Uh,
1: I <laughs> what do I want? It's paradoxical though, because I think when you're on stage, I mean, especially with stand-up, because obviously stand-up's crafted. You know, it's pre-planned, but not just pre-planned. It's honed. Um, I mean obviously I know that you have to do new material and stuff sometimes but basically you're in a position of power there so you are like and even as an improviser like you are letting yourself be seen but you're in control ultimately because the stage gives you power like basically the stage gives you status and of course you can lose it if you do badly <laughs> you have a bad gig you know you you, <clears throat> you gradually you lose that respect and whatever from the audience and we've all been there but basically when you're on the stage what the audience is saying is like we trust you now we respect you to make us laugh or to entertain us or to take us on a journey or whatever and you get to do it all your way which is easier than I don't know, normal social interaction where you're not in control of everything that happens, where someone else, you know, suddenly say something you don't expect or interject with a funnier joke or, you know, <laughs> or like ask you a question you don't want to answer or whatever, you know. And being on stage isn't, you, you can reveal a lot about yourself without it really being true intimacy, I think. Yeah. I mean, it it's definitely is a way of being seen, but it's obviously not the same as like an intimate relationship, is it?
0: And also, like, the stage does give you power. The stage or the um, performing space, because sometimes there's no stage. Because I feel like I give more of myself. I'm less afraid of being foolish, and, and all of that that I think makes performances better. Uh, I do that a lot more when I'm actually performing on stage than, for instance, when I'm rehearsing. When I'm rehearsing, I feel like there's always, like, a, a line I don't cross yeah. that I would have crossed on stage. <laughs> <laughs> And it's dumb because rehearsals are a safe space usually. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, I understand. So what was your question originally? What other mo- other moments that I think have been Yeah,
0: because I think you said you had more than one.
1: Well, I think the shyness thing has been a big thing for me, you know, throughout my life. So before I got to Im- improv even, I think, you know, getting my first Saturday job felt terrifying um, having to speak to you know stra- members of the public strangers every day in the co-op <laughs> um, buying their groceries going away to university and I, I had a friend growing up like one, who was one of my best friends who was very confident at least externally and very gregarious and outgoing and basically I would always make her ask for things in shops or pub make her. I mean she did, she agreed, you know um, but she would like order our drinks or like speak on the phone and da 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 and I kind of realised that I had to not go to university with her otherwise I would rely on her too much and I had to learn to do those things myself otherwise I would be weird, do you know what I mean? Like, I would be not fit for life and so I knew that I had to go to a sort of a strange place and make friends by myself which is obviously what everyone does when they go to university really but I was really genuinely terrified of that and I guess so that yeah there's what I mean is with my shyness there's been a lot of maybe smaller steps you know that have moments smaller moments of bravery that have led to me doing something like improv and then you know now my job is leading tours like i literally take 45 strangers on holiday for a living and like you can't be shy if you do that job mm-hmm. you know you have to just dive in and well a take take the lead but be you know chat to everyone and <laughs> be friendly-ish at least <laughs> um yeah, so there, so all those points at which I've sort of like forced myself out of my comfort zone because I, I knew I didn't want to be shy. I knew that I wanted to be able to communicate, essentially. And so I've always did things to kind of like force myself out of it a bit. And I always think it's cured. Like I genuinely, like I know like maybe you shouldn't think of it in that way, but like I actually don't think I'm a shy person anymore. I have my moments, don't get me wrong. I do, like once a year, I'll have that feeling of like, it's almost like being locked in a jail where you can't say anything. You're just like, oh my God, I feel really self-conscious and awful. But in general, I actually don't feel shy anymore.
0: That's good. I still do. Like whenever there is a group of people chatting and I want to go in. I can't I feel that thing that, that I had never heard it described, but it feels like a jail and you want to talk and you can't and yeah. everyone around you is talking and you I can't. Yeah, I still feel that. And I still feel like a lot of people think I'm not friendly. And I but it's not on purpose. I want to be friendly. I'm just like
1: <laughs> weird. <laughs> I know. Well my my friend once said of me Alice Sanders makes an excellent fifth impression. <laughs> Which was a burn, but also was very funny. But yeah, I do feel like I've slightly improved. But you know, it is okay to be shy as well, and and people warm up to you. And and actually, sometimes the best people are not not necessarily the loudest or easiest to get to know from from the get go. Yeah, yeah,
0: it's like it's. F- I feel like it's a. F- uh... It's fine, but sometimes I want, I really want to talk to someone and I can't and that's frustrating. Yes. But yeah, I, I i think it's better. So yeah, it will, maybe one day I'll, like you, be cured.
1: <laughs> well, good luck.
0: <laughs> <laughs> On the other side of the scale, were there moments in your life in which you haven't done something for lack of bravery or fear?
1: Yeah, well, definitely. Um, I mean, there was the 12 years I didn't perform. <laughs> And I definitely was one of those people that sat, that that not always, but I think I had a bit of that when I went to gigs and stuff, I'd be like, I'm as funny as this person. You know, I could do that. And I had a bit of an attitude. But the thing is, I didn't do it. And that is the key difference, isn't it? Like, if you think you are funny and you could do stand-up or improv, then you should do it because you don't know how hard it is until you take those risks. If you think... You can write a novel then sit down and write a novel because the biggest difference between someone who's written a novel and someone who hasn't is that someone sat down and slogged their guts out to write it and to be good at it and same with you know performing and I think you know what doing comedy and and also writing, like standing up and being seen has actually given me, if anything, an even greater appreciation of the arts because I know how hard it is. Mm-hmm. And I know how hard it is to make anything, to create, to have the courage of your convictions, to put in the hard work, and then how terrifying it is to, to put it into the world and say like, I did that, you know, and I think it means something. It's very easy to be a critic. Like I did for a long time, from the shadows. Also. I think for a long time I, <laughs> I would never let. I was I, I was almost ashamed if I fancied someone, mm. <laughs> and, and I would do almost everything in my power to sort of not let them know <laughs> that I did because I thought it was like a weakness. <laughs> like, have you ever been at a party and there's someone there you really fancy and you're almost like stubbornly don't talk to them. Because yeah. <laughs> you're like, fuck you. I won't show you that. I like you. That was me for a long time. <laughs> Which is cowardly. Yeah,
0: but it's funny because it's like you just didn't want them to know you fancy them. Because it's like giving in. That's what I'm getting from what you're saying. it's like Yeah.
1: I, yeah. It's almost like I felt like they had something over on me like you with your power over me I won't let you have it I just would like never never tell them or maybe even be a bit mean to them
0: Um, It feels like it's what like kids and teenagers do because yeah it's like I'm just going to be mean to you (laughs)
1: Less cute when you're 29 (laughs) Uh, Yeah and I sort of (laughs) gradually gradually got over that Oh yeah well I guess I did I did start like asking people out and, I, and you know what that was after I'd done improv as well and you know what I have been rejected and it is obviously awful like you feel terrible for like an hour and you're like why did I do that oh my god I hate myself and then it's fine it, because you just it's another thing you have to learn like sometimes in improv you do a terrible scene you're not funny no one laughs and you know what it doesn't matter, the world doesn't end, but also it doesn't mean that you're a terrible performer or that you should never do improv again. And if you ask someone out and they say no, it doesn't mean that you don't you know, deserve to ever go out with anyone or that no one will ever have sex with you again. It just means that that person, for whatever reason, is not feeling it right then and there, and that's totally fine. And it's kind of freeing, actually. But also, I have found that if you let people know that you are attracted to them, actually, quite often they do go for it, and that it's a much more effective way of getting to bone than not telling anyone ever.
0: <laughs> for sure, I'm I'm sure that, that it is because yeah, at least you yeah at least you went there. So yeah, the worst thing that can happen is that they will say no. And I feel like, and I'm terrible at it. So w- what I'm saying, it's more it's not what I do but I also feel like it's probably way better to get a rejection rather than keep on thinking especially if it's someone you see regularly keep on thinking "Mm, could this be anything I will never know because I will never ask but I will keep thinking "Mm, maybe one day it will happen
1: yeah it's definitely better than that and I definitely used to sort of like foster a crush on someone for like a long time, you know, six months, three years, maybe, whatever. And I think they can feel that there's something weird going on. Like, they might not see know what it is, but it's, like, an intensity about you or something that they're picking up that's a bit, like, ugh. Because, I mean, I would, like, have a whole fantasy life in my head, whatever, but then, you know, never actually ask them out or never actually make it, like, totally clear that I like them. And I think if you tell them, actually, it releases, like, the power from that crush because either something happens or or you have a kind of closure and you're like that thing is never gonna happen there's no point in me thinking about it anymore and you just move on. So yes I definitely think it's it's better either way. Even being rejected is kind of sometimes better than never asking. Also oh well I should say moment of bravery I asked my girlfriend out on Twitter and everyone goes like in DMs and I'm like no not in <laughs> on Twitter. That that's, that's brave because, yeah,
0: <laughs> I don't know. It could also be read as maybe more of a joke rather than if you had DM'd. So if they had said no, you could say, oh, I was just like, I didn't, I don't know how you did it. But yeah, I, th- I feel like in a DM, it's way more this is real. This person is not joking.
1: Yes. Well, actually, that is true. So I I did it. In public, partly because I thought a DM might be more creepy as well, mm-hmm. because we didn't know each other. Um, we had followed each other on Twitter for like five years, but, but we, don't, we didn't know each other personally. And she was tweeting about bad first dates, like bad virtual first dates, because it was lockdown one. And I kind of kept, well, I think she'd done it a couple of times because I'd seen it before and I was like, I've always thought she was cool. I should ask her out. But I'd just broken up with someone, like, just before we went into lockdown. And I was like, oh, maybe I'm still a bit sad. Maybe I'm not quite over it. I won't do it yet. And then she did it on Pride, like what would have been London Pride. And by that point, you know, I was over the other Yeah, And also I was like, this is surely a sign, you know, like it's it's gay Christmas um and so uh, she did like this whole series of um tweets about these bad first dates some of which were like well kind of terrible but also quite funny like one woman tried to make her watch a porno <laughs> by <her> watch, <laughs> and I was like oh my god I <laughs> so I I tweeted her first, just like a normal tweet saying like, oh, you know, I'm sorry, whatever. But also this is very funny. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. It's gay Christmas. And I, so I tweeted her, I offer my services for a potentially not terrible first date. And I did think it's less intense and creepy if I don't go into the DMs. And also I was like, she could sort of, if she doesn't want to, she could totally just take it as this kind of joke yeah and that's fine and I sort of was like I had to have a word with myself be like you know if she kind of ignores you or she says no you have to be okay with that because we do have to be okay with people rejecting us right
0: yeah of course that's what consent is all about right
1: but it's hard to receive a no gracefully sometimes isn't it yeah obviously I wouldn't force someone to go out with me (laughs) but you can also be a bit of a dick about it I was like you know you have to be completely fine with it. And obviously I did it and then I freaked out. And I was like, why did I do that? I did it in public. Everyone could see I am such an idiot. And about five minutes later, she re- replied saying, sold with a smiley face. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe it worked. Amazing. So in that instance, bravery definitely paid off. And then actually she slid into my DMs a few hours later and was like, by the way, were you serious? <laughs> and I was like,
0: Exactly. It. You do need to confirm it because it does like publicly, it sounds more like a joke, but it is a nice way to, I guess, do it without feeling the dread of rejection so hard. I have been on, I've met someone recently that I've been following. We've been mutually following each other on Instagram for a long time. It was purely a friendly a friend thing. It's not not nothing romantic about it, but yeah, we've just decided to text each other and meet up for a walk during lockdown. And at some point, it was creepy because I've been following her for so long on Instagram that I started asking her stuff I knew from her Instagram life. But it felt like I was just a stalker who knew too much about her. And I did stop and say, uh, "I've just been following you for too long. i It's not like I'm. I just know these things about you because I've been following you on Instagram. But it's weird." but we both realized it's weird, but it's what happens when you follow each other for so long. You know what you've done last week because you've posted it on Instagram.
1: Yeah, yeah. totally. And I think actually we had it a little bit where we would like almost pretend that we didn't know some of the things. Because I asked my girlfriend, have you ever read any of my articles? Because I I write and I often post things on my social media. And in the past five years, I mean, actually, the reason that I followed her is because I interviewed her for an article that I wrote, like, five years ago. And I, like, I've sent her a couple of things that I'm, like, quite proud of or whatever. And obviously she's like, oh, yeah, I like it. I mean, you can't really say anything else, can you? But then I had to be like, have you actually ever read anything before? And then she was like, yeah I mean, yeah, obviously. I have read your stuff. And it's like, it's weird. It's just weird because you've, Yeah like I know a bunch of stuff about her because I've been following her for five years on Twitter yeah like I've seen her through a whole other relationship (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um,
0: I was also just thinking that I I have like a few um, uh, I think I'd call them thirst traps on on Instagram and like this I'm polyamorous so I talk about new partners with old partners (laughs) Uh, and I with old partners or current partners whatever but i was talking about this new person i'm seeing and whether i might uh, go the next step with them and they might see me naked and i sometimes have uh, insecurities about my body and this particular partner i was talking to about this new partner uh talks a lot about my roles in like a, a nice way that i really like and i've come to like my roles better because of our relationship and by roles i mean like the roles in your belly and stuff like that and i said oh i don't know like people see me dressed they don't necessarily know what's underneath so there's always that thing when they potentially will see you naked for the first time and he was like uh does she follow you on Instagram? She will have seen your role, so it's fine. It's true. I, I should post less naked pictures on Instagram, <laughs> or not, because it's, it's uh that step becomes less uh, scary, I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, who doesn't like the old thirst trap? Come on. I think what you need to do is hashtag positive, body positivity, and then you're allowed. Yeah. To <laughs>
0: naked protests. No, I'm very open about it. It's just th- thirst traps, because I like. I actually don't. Don't send me uh, creepy
1: messages please. (laughs) What me? No (laughs) well you please send me creepy messages Alice. (laughs) I'll do it I'll do it in public though. (laughs)
0: That's my style. Is there anything coming up in your life for which you will have to be brave in order to achieve?
1: Well that's a good question. So I don't I feel like my future is very uncertain right now because my main source of income, being a tour director, like, I don't know when that's going to be back, you know. I I think, realistically, is it going to be back next year? No. Not in the form that it was, certainly. Because it's big groups of people doing international travelling, travelling to places with even bigger groups of people. Like, think about how many people are in the Louvre or the Colosseum. Like, it's the fastest way to spread a virus. And I just think you know i can i just can't see it happening and also it's like i don't know when government grants and things are going to run out and um you know i do have i mean most of my sources of income have dried up apart from i guess writing but then writers are competing for for fewer jobs now as well mm-hmm. because you know like events copy or whatever is gone anyway blah 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 blah. i don't know what to do i literally don't know and uh I did apply to law school to do like a law conversion because I, I already have a, a degree. And in this country, if you if you have any degree, basically, of uh, a two, two or above, you can do a one year law conversion. Um, I don't know if I've got onto it yet. but I mean, that's quite frightening, is A, going back to studying after, I mean, how old am I? After a long time. And then B, trying to sort of like, then there's also, you know, actually forming a career in that, like you have to be a solicitor or a barrister and you have to apply to like a law firm or a chambers. And like, that seems like quite a daunting task at this point in my life. And if I don't get in, what do I do? I can't just wait for travel to come back. So yeah, I think whatever happens there is gonna have, require courage and, um, I don't know. Yeah. God, I'm not looking forward
0: to it, to be honest. I feel like this question is one of those that is uh, really hard to ask at this period in time. Uh, Because, yeah, everyone is in weird uh, limbo kind of thing. Some people aren't and that's just... uh, (laughs) scary sometimes when someone has like a real clear plan of what they're doing and it seems feasible and you're like what am, what am i doing that i'm i don't know i i don't even know if i what will happen after brexit and if the place i've called home after uh, for the past like seven years uh, will still be my home
1: Please. but that's a, a, a whole other conversation that's terrible
0: I'm sorry. That is truly awful. I apologise <laughs> to half of my people. <laughs> I'm sure um, you were one of the good ones <laughs> who didn't vote for it. So it's fine. I... <laughs> who is someone real or fictional or a public figure or just someone from your own life? It can be more than one person that you, you would use as an example of bravery. Oh my
1: goodness. I can't think of anyone admired people that are sort of unapologetically themselves for sort of I mean in part for good and for bad but like just go for what they want and adjust sort of like wholly them and I guess Josie Long comes to mind on that front I just feel like she just does it her way you know Mm -hmm. and she doesn't really care about the rest and that's that's a good thing to have that sort of the courage of your convictions in that way I think. And I often wish that I was a bit more like that, and I think maybe I am a little bit more like that now than I used to be.
0: I do find Josie interesting from because for a long time I only knew her from like whatever stand up she did and like her um thing, yeah the public things she did uh but when once I started following her on social media and like Instagram, my perception of her uh, was way more yeah as you say as someone who is so fool yourself and does it every day Mm. almost on our
1: instagram and who else do i admire for being brave i mean it's all of us in in lockdown every single (laughs) one of us like carrying on is hard sometimes isn't it (sighs) well done and there's
0: so many little things like I've cried this morning because of the doctor thing situation I've I've been trying to get an appointment for like three months I got an appointment for today that they told me through text that was in person I went to the surgery oh no you don't have an appointment but you sent me a text oh that's the system is all wrong since COVID the doctor will call you at some point today and I'm still waiting and it's like I think I'm struggling with like my contraceptive stuff and my PCOS. So it's not like super urgent, I guess. It's just a discomfort, I think, but it can be more than that. And I'm just waiting to, for a doctor to come back to me. And this is all COVID related. So it's so frustrating. And so, yeah, it's one, another one of those things that you have to just like, uh, I feel like uh, being mad at the reception person at, at the doctor, but it's not really their fault. It's the fault of the bigger situation the world is going through. And yeah, it's hard to know where to direct your anger.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's frustrating, isn't it? I mean, I have an autoimmune disease and there's like so much admin involved in that. And it's even harder now. And I've like, oh, Oh, and a sunlight allergy. That's also something I couldn't talk about, Never mind. But I've like fallen off the dermatology departments appointment thing and I just like cannot get back on it but maybe it just doesn't matter at the moment and then also recently I found out that I have ADHD as well and it's like you know how much admin it involves like trying to manage that and an autoimmune disease and I'm a person who can't do admin because I have ADHD plus lockdown you know making everything not work it is like brain explodingly annoying
0: Yeah, I feel like whenever I I think about getting like mental health help, I just give up because it's so, there's so much admin involved and it's something else that makes my mental health go worse. So I'm just like, okay, cool. I just won't look into it. I tried to go through the NHS and they made me answer a huge quiz and they told me I'm low grade, anxious, so just go to this website and help yourself like cool yeah
1: yeah yeah that sucks
0: yeah i'm i'm sure there's a lot of more people going through like uh worse things and yeah i just try to
1: uh
0: yeah bury bury the these issues inside my brain and maybe one day they will come out but for (laughs) now
1: it's okay definitely (laughs) always healthy to repress them
0: just push them down Is there anything else you thought about bravery um, these past few days that I haven't asked you about and that you really, really want to tell me?
1: Anything else that I've been thinking about bravery?
0: Yeah, since I've asked you on the podcast and you... I, I, feel, I feel like you had notes, so is there anything that I didn't ask you about?
1: I did have some notes, but not very many. I, gu- I guess, like, I think bravery is about taking risks. And like I said at the beginning, that can just be, even on a personal level, it doesn't have to be, Mm -hmm. you know, in front of or for other people. And actually, I was thinking about therapy as well, because I think therapy takes bravery. Um, And I think you can do therapy and never be brave. Like, it's not just the act. Well, I suppose, you know, asking for help can be brave or admitting that maybe you need some help. But I think you can go to therapy and just whinge or... Mm -hmm. blame everyone else or I don't know you know say the same old things over and over again but you can also go and be honest like brutally honest about a the things that have happened to you but be like your your part in it the things that you do that don't help you and I think it takes a lot of courage to be brutally honest even with a, a sort of a person who is not involved in your life you know okay a almost an objective person to some degree and i think it also takes a lot of bravery to try and change and stick to those things i don't know is it bravery to like kind of claw your way to the end of something (laughs) (laughs) like you know to keep endurance i think is a kind of bravery you know to to keep being kind to yourself when it's hard you know when all you want to do is like drink two bottles of wine and put smoke a packet of cigarettes to like go for a run or to make yourself a healthy dinner or to not call yourself a shit bag i'm getting upset because i'm having one of those days today <laughs> to keep going to keep sticking to the good things i think that's a kind of bravery
0: yeah and i do think sometimes when You post stuff like I went for a run or I cooked and things like that. And you post your photo of your cooked dish or you post your print screen of your run. That is inspiring for me to go out and do my run and go out and cook. Because sometimes I also feel in that space and it's really nice to see you post things like that.
1: Well, I do it because I want external validation, (laughs) Mariela.
0: I know because like one of the most <laughs> difficult things for me is self. Um, what's the word? Uh, accountability. Yeah. And I also do post things sometimes on social media for that external validation and for that external accountability. Because if it's just for me, does it even matter? But it does, and we. Yeah. But yeah, like I think it's good, even if you're doing it for external accountability or um, validation. Like I don't know if it helps to tell you, but it also helps others. It helps me. I don't know if it helps others no, to really be more accountable uh, to myself.
1: No, it's, that is really good. I think, I think it, can, it can do both things Like as well, can't it? Because going for a run or making yourself a nice dinner, it, it will have the effect of making you feel better about yourself, even if it's a small, small effect. And even if you, you know, it's like every small action adds up To an overall better feeling, and maybe that external validation gives you more of a quick dopamine hit, like someone telling you you've done a good job or whatever it is. But I think it can work both ways, and I don't think like I don't think it's bad to want external validation either, because usually we have it, right? Like yeah, we have jobs and we have bosses or clients that tell us that we've done a good thing, and we have. I don't know, friends that tell us we look nice or people that laugh at our jokes or, you know. Like, it's natural and human to want some kind of external validation. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad it helps you too, definitely. I mean, I absolutely do it because i just want someone to tell me i'm doing a good job please anyone <laughs> oh you do
0: like if you run the 9k today i will be so impressed <laughs> but even if you run less than that i will still be impressed because i haven't gone for a run yet because yeah uh i may i may still go because it's sunny um uh, <laughs> we're at the end of the podcast and the last thing may be like a A weird thing to ask in this period again, but is if you have anything to promote.
1: Um, Do I have anything to promote? Well, uh, follow me on Twitter at Berners Penguin and Instagram the same. Um, You can also follow my drag character Sebastian Frond on Instagram at Sebastian underscore Frond. And if you want to follow my drag king improv team, that's at Bareback Kings.
0: And you can find everything, like the articles you write and all of that, you can find it through your Twitter account. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time uh, of the day to talk to me.
1: It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much for listening. You can follow me at at Marianne's Beats on Twitter and Instagram for all dowry updates. As all podcasts will tell you, all rates and reviews will be super welcome. And do share the podcast with your friends or on your socials. Hashtag Daudy pod I would also like to know your picks of people who, to you, are examples of bravery. Share them on your reviews or tweet them at me. Huge, huge thank you to Champagne for the podcast jingle and a bunch of other things that are unpodcast podcast related. If you've enjoyed listening to Dowdy, have some spare to give and would like to support me and help me improve on my tech and skills, all tips are welcome through PayPal and coffee on at Mariana's bits I've been Mariana Feijão. Until next week.